Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. The way we encounter the word body in the Bible often means more than one thing. Said in another way, the meaning is often layered. When we talk about a body, we tend not to separate it from its parts either. And the way the Bible speaks about our bodies in relation to Jesus' body, there is always a relational nature that we are only whole when united with Christ and our brothers and sisters in Christ. All who are in Christ are part of and conformed to his body. As we continue to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians this week, Paul invites the Philippians to reflect on who they have become now that they have been initiated into the body of Christ. Though they are not fully complete in who Christ has made them to be, they are different now that they live out of grace with a promise of completion in Christ and sharing his resurrection. When we look at where we were last week in Paul's letter, Paul illustrated that he left everything behind of the world he once knew, a world where his righteousness was attached to the law and where he was surpassing others in his pursuit of the law. But this, he reshares, was nothing in comparison to the grace revealed to him in Christ. All of us who are mature, this is where our passage picks up from last week. It's a pretty critical start point for us this week, and it's important that we're clear on this. Paul is pressing toward the goal. He's not yet made it fully, but he is living out of his call from God, even under house arrest in chains. He's still moving towards that end, the goal of sharing resurrection with hope he has obtained from Christ. He's still proclaiming Christ's good news to those he encounters under house arrest, And he is here writing the Philippians, encouraging them to live out of their call from God. He is encouraging all to not be discouraged, to not be disoriented by the suffering they face, an encouragement not to lose faith, to encourage them to be unified, to share in one another's suffering, to hold one another up, to avoid the worldly way of destruction and inclination towards the fleeting temporary comforts posing as a solution. If you think about what must be what it must be like to completely walk away from what you've worked for your whole life, in Paul's case being a Pharisee who was the Hebrew of Hebrews, what perfect or mature would have meant to Paul before in his pursuit of God must have looked radically different after encountering Christ and accepting his call as an apostle. What is different now for Paul is he's not living from what he's accomplished. He sees through the ruse of what he could do, the limits, the trappings of his own righteousness versus God's righteousness. There is no looking back to the way he lived before or falling back on old ways. Paul's running a race now towards grace alone. When you're really competing for a race, even the slightest look back can cost you valuable time. You have to keep your eye on the prize if you're going to get to it. And for Paul, that prize is truly knowing Christ fully, transformed in a resurrected body. 
With that short recap of where we left off in Paul's letter and where he's taking us, I invite you to open your Bibles with me this week up to Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21, and follow along as we read from our text today. All of us then who are mature should take a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you were to pick up our passage today and just pull it out of the whole letter as though it was a standalone page for the first time and outside of context, it would be easy to mistake what Paul is saying when he says, all of us who are mature. You might be tempted to think he is talking about being a Christian for a long time. You might have an idea in your mind of someone you know who looks like a good Christian, someone who shows up for worship every Sunday, someone who does all the outward things right. But let's pause before we go into this passage and think about that for a moment. Let's think about what we talked about last week. What did Paul just get done telling the recipients of this letter before our passage today? He just got done telling them, Everything he had done up to finding Christ, everything he had done to build himself up, to be an exemplar of the law, to be the greatest among the teachers of his time, all the gains he made, rising up the ranks, all that he considers a loss, rubbish, all that is nothing compared to what he found in Christ. He is certainly talking about a way of living in mindset, but it is not maturity in the way we might be used to thinking about it. He is telling the Philippians to share in the same mind as Christ, to be of one mind. It is something much deeper than doing this or that outwardly. It is sharing the mind of Christ in all they say and do, abiding in him. It is waiting on God's spirit to reveal what is from God and what is of their own making. Other translations some of you might be familiar with, such as the King James Version, instead of saying mature, actually translates it to say perfect, like us. Right? <laughs> but, but to be honest, the word Paul uses in Greek, teleos, is not an exact match, believe it or not, with our English translation. The root of the word teleos Paul uses is telos, which means goal. So when we dig into what Paul is saying here, we should be aware that there is a little bit of wordplay going on that's tied to the goal, which is to share Christ's resurrection. He's not saying he's reached it yet. He's not saying he's reached the goal or any of us have yet. But having Christ there now is something to live up to now that he's received Christ. 
He's also not saying that he or the Philippians can rest on their laurels because they've made it. Now that they can call themselves Jesus followers, they're not done. No, what he is saying is that now that they have been found, now that they have recognized Jesus as Lord, there is a new way of living, being part of him and all that Jesus gives them to live out of. There is real relational fruit that is coming from the vine. There is a new way of relating to one another that doesn't match up with the world they've been living in. It changes their personal lives, but more specifically, it changes the way they share life together now. Paul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus is where Paul breaks with his past. It's where the old promise has to be left behind. It's when Christ shows up and confronts him where Paul is laid out on the ground, blinded, weakened, made vulnerable and dependent on those whom he has gone to attack. To be nursed back to health by a Christian he does not know yet but will come to know is Ananias. And who initiates this, Paul or Christ? Christ, right? It is Jesus' words that confront Paul, asking him, why are you persecuting me? Paul doesn't get to use his credentials to get out of what Jesus confronts him with. He doesn't get to sidestep the cross. He doesn't get to claim righteousness over anyone for the way he lived before his encounter with Jesus. No, it's that confrontation with Jesus, the abounding grace of Christ that frees Paul from the judgment of the law. Jesus could have done Paul differently. He could have given him the judgment he deserved, but he doesn't. Christ shows Paul the limitation of the law as he once used it, that judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A blind in Paul's eyes are opened up by the power of God through one of the targets of his persecution, Ananias, who lays hands on Paul to restore his sight and baptize him. In being received by Christ, Paul no sooner finds himself receiving Christ's mercy through someone, a member of the body, who would likely have been reluctant to accept him, to forgive him, to invite him into the body of believers. But obedient to God's call on his life, Ananias does what he is told and trusts God and welcomes Paul into the fold. Why do I bring this all up? Why do I take you all the way back to Paul's encounter with Christ? Because it's Christ's transforming work in Paul that makes life different for Paul. It makes life different for the Philippians. It makes life different for you and I. It's not a way of life that Paul could have arranged for himself. It is the life God makes for Paul. It is the life that meets Paul when he is on the path of destruction to persecute Christ. Jesus comes into a world that is on fire, that is groaning for justice, that is groaning for mercy, that is groaning for real and lasting peace, looking for hope that lasts. Jesus doesn't come into the world to give the best law followers a pat on the back, to give attaboys to the most zealous and religious folks who have cut themselves off from everyone whose sin is less concealed than their own. No, he comes to offer them a way to be saved, to be transformed by following him. 
This is what Paul is getting at in our passage in what has been attained with Christ in what we have attained when we have found Christ, when Christ has found us. He is speaking to the experience he had, the experience with the one who initiates and upends the glory of the world, who upends fiefdoms, boasting, and all the schemes clutching for power by all means necessary that really only accomplish death. Paul lived as an enemy of the cross before he met Jesus. He was on a mission to eradicate the growing community of Jesus' followers. But then something changed. He came to know Christ. He came to know the mind of Christ, the way of the cross of Christ, and how to live out of what he attained, the way of Christ. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us, Jesus had come for the express purpose of bringing peace to the enemies of God. And to paraphrase Bonhoeffer, this is where we find our mission, not by separating ourselves, but by being in the midst of our enemies. This is where the enemies of God become reconciled. They become reclaimed, no longer enemies, but as beloved daughters and sons, sisters and brothers in Christ. So it is often we recite one of our favorite psalms. He prepares a table before my enemies. Luther has another great quote describing the, the way Christ reigns. To rule is to be in the midst of your enemies, and whoever will not suffer this does not want to be part of the rule of Christ. Such a person wants to be among friends and sit among the roses and lilies, not with bad people, but with religious people, Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been saved? One can hardly speak to all the problems we have going on in this world, where there are wars raging in Ukraine and Israel and in Gaza, where innocent blood is being shed around the world, where in our own country, culture wars are fueling the political polarization in our government, and it's even making it increasingly difficult to agree on what we can do to help our brothers and sisters in these war-battered parts of the world. Living in our world today, it's almost hard to imagine what Paul proposes. If you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, where Paul is encouraging them to reconcile differences, that God can bring us together to be of the same mind, of his mind. It is hard to imagine this playing out in the church, let alone us going into the world and taking a chance on the unchurched, isn't it? I just recently had a conversation this week about a small town uh, with only about 600 people that has apparently been proud to boast that they have had seven churches for many years now. When I heard about this, I couldn't help but wonder why a relatively homogenous town like this couldn't have just one church. I wondered how much more they might be able to do for the kingdom if they pulled all these resources together under one roof, what they could do in God's kingdom. I wonder how do those churches read into what Paul is saying to be of one mind in Christ. I know it's easier said than done. And in truth, I think this small town reflects on a micro scale on what the global church excels at, that is in dividing itself up. 
The truth is the starting point for us to see how God might be trying to show us something more clearly is through our brothers and sisters in Christ who we have differences with. To figure out how we can be of the same mind together before we approach someone outside the church and try to point them to Christ. If we don't look like we can love one another, why would a stranger think we can love them any better? The truth is God through his grace brings us together as a church so we can practice getting along with each other, agreeing and disagreeing with a spirit of gentleness so we can support one another as we go out into the world and reflect Christ with maturity Paul is talking about. It is a gift that we are formed in community gathered in his name the way he intended us to live and it is one that we should never take for granted. Christ is the bringer of life that we do not have, a life that the enemies of the cross cannot conceive. He has brought us into a life together where our faith, where our joy, where our hope is shared and works to build one another up as we eagerly await on our Lord's return to transform our lowly bodies into glorious resurrected bodies like his. Beloved, God wants to use you and I like he used Ananias to be his agents to bring peace to the enemies of God. Each of us has a different calling by the gifts God has bestowed on us that work toward building up the body of Christ. But we are all called to be his peacemakers. We are equipped and empowered by his Holy Spirit to be his hands and feet to bring his unity and his restoration into our divided world. It is his grace received, his great mercy received, poured out for us, shared between us, and for the sake of others that is at work in us, reforming our bodies in Christ every day until he comes again to the glory of God. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.